This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. Greg Rooley is my guest here today. He is the new executive director of National Sorghum Producers. He is not only new to the role, but the role is new to the organization. We'll talk more about that coming up. But Greg, let's talk about you first. Tell us about your background. So thanks, Lori. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you here today. Uh, my background, I've been lucky. Uh, my career has been spent in agriculture uh, from, from my formative days growing up on a pretty typical diversified uh, northwest Iowa farm with with both crops and livestock uh, to to much of my career spent in association work uh, in both the livestock and uh, kind of the crop and, and and seed sides of the industry. Um, you know, those those are the opportunities that I think really help uh, position me well uh, to come on board and and stand alongside Tim Lust and and the rest of the team at Sorghum. Uh, to help move the ball forward at a time that's really exciting in the sorghum industry. What made you decide to branch off of the operation, off of the farm, and do something like this? Well, and and that happened in the 80s, which for most people, that's about all you have to say, right, is, well, in the 1980s, I had to make a choice. I, I had gone to college for a year, went back home, was certain that I was going to join dad on the farm, and um, uh, we went in and and uh, we we made an offer on a uh, or we're getting ready to make an offer on a on an eighty acre farm with a little bit of a swine facility on it, and uh, went into the bank and the bank said I don't think that we're gonna stick our neck out that far and twenty one percent interest and and all of those challenges. So for me that was sort of the time. It was it was the challenges of the eighties farm crisis that pushed me toward uh, a career in off the farm but still in agriculture and so. You know things like things like uh, working uh, the the farm bill. I've, I've worked on a, about a half a dozen farm bills over my career. Um, being that advocate and that voice for farmers and ranchers with elected officials, principally in Washington, but also at the state legislature, um, really has has kind of shaped me in a direction that that um, that made association work a very satisfying uh, opportunity and across you know about three and a half decades of my career. So where else have you worked then with association work? So I started uh, out of college at uh, with the National Cattlemen's Association in their government affairs office in D.C. Um, I was a lobbyist that did the work on environmental uh, issues. So all of the all the sexy stuff, the Clean Water Act, private property rights, endangered species, uh, wetlands laws, uh, uh, regulations on feedlots, all of that stuff fell into my lap, if you will. Uh, during my time in in DC, from there, uh, it spent five years in Washington. Um, uh, my wife and I got married during that time. We decided, hey, this is not necessarily the place we want to start a family, and so we had the chance to move to Nebraska and ran the Nebraska Cattlemen's Association for ten years. Um, again, state and federal legislative activities. We grew the association over that time quite a bit, um, and. Uh, and then I got this little bit of a crazy bug that uh, when when Nebraska's first congressional district uh, became vacant, uh, Doug B. Ryder had been in that seat for about 25 years. Um, I threw my hat in the ring uh, at that point in time, and uh, it was a crowded field. There were 12 candidates in the primary. 
uh, nine Republicans, two Dems, and a, and an independent. Um, finished third in the primary. Uh, unlike a horse race, you know, uh, a, a, a congressional uh, primary doesn't pay three places deep. Uh, so then kind of stepped off into the seed industry and did association work there for 10 years. Uh, moved here to Southwest Kansas uh, and stepped in as a CEO for Servitech, a group that you know, a lot of listeners would probably have some familiarity with crop consulting and, and laboratory testing uh, work, kind of in a seven state area, but headquartered here in Southwest Kansas. Um, spent two and a half or spent a year and a half in a startup just because I thought that'd be kind of something cool. And uh, and then Tim Lust called and said, hey, I need some help at Sorghum. Known Tim forever, ton of respect for him, and uh, was happy to join the team here at, at Sorghum uh, in November, uh, just you know, not even not even 60 days ago. And the executive director position, is this brand new to the association? It is. So it's a little it, it seems odd because everybody that knows Tim Lust thinks of Tim as a C as, as the executive director of Sorghum. And he has, he has yeah. for yeah, yes, he, 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 we, we just celebrated a 30 year career for Tim in Sorghum. And so what what we've done, uh, the, the board has has really stepped in and said, we see we see tremendous opportunities in Sorghum. We need to develop the team that will allow the industry to take advantage of those opportunities. So. Tim sits as a CEO of uh, what we refer to as Team Sorghum. Uh, so he is he is in that CEO role. Then we un, under that we have the the, soy, uh, the sorghum checkoff. We have National Sorghum Producers, uh, and then we have a group of subsidiary organizations, crop insurance and and climate smart grants and other sustainability programs that we're developing. Um, that all have a, a, a someone in in a leadership role in each of those areas, and so. Um, it's a way for for us to really use Tim's time to its highest and best use uh, and provide the support that the association and the industry needs to take advantage of these opportunities. So I think you answered this somewhat, but maybe a little bit more and how the executive director's position will work with Tim's position then, how yeah. how you're going to divide and, and how you're going to work together. But as well. Yeah, exactly. No, great. It's a great question, Lori. And it's and it's an interesting one. I'm 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 chuckling a bit because um, that's still being defined a little bit. Uh, I have years of experience in Washington. Obviously, I can I can step in and provide support there as we prepare for for the rewrite of the farm bill. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken to producer groups across the country and around the world, uh, and so I can step in and fill that gap. The way Tim and I would describe that, the way we described it to the board a couple of weeks ago at our board meeting was, one, it's still being defined. And secondly, the the the, the best part of that opportunity is literally being being almost interchangeable uh, in, in those roles. So if we need somebody in D.C., whoever's, whoever's schedule that fits in with the best heads to Washington. If we need to go visit with a producer group someplace. Um, you know, again, we've got the option, the, the option for optionality maybe is the right way to look at it. We can, we can kind of deal that whichever way makes the most sense. And, you know, that's, that's not necessarily the role Tim was initially searching for. He was looking for a succession plan. Um, I, I, you know, at this point in my career, I'm not Tim's succession plan. Um, I'm, I'm at the tail end of my career, not the beginning. And so, um, for right now, we've got work to do, and and this provides Sorghum with an opportunity to really cover all the bases as well as we possibly can. 
Will you have to relocate to Lubbock then? Yeah, we, it, that's a that's a decision that's coming. Likely, likely at least spend a significant amount of time. But right now, we've got so much travel that there's a lot of times travel for me out of Dodge City is a whole lot easier than travel. You know, if I'm headed to eastern Colorado or I'm headed to southwest Nebraska or I'm headed to Manhattan, Kansas, um, I can get there in a half a day's drive. Um, if I was in Lubbock, it's a full day's drive or it's two plane rides, one or the other. And um, and so, you know, that's a that's a discussion that continues to happen. But certainly we'll be spending time in the office um, with the with the staff that we have there. And, um, you know, we've had so much growth. We're out of space in our in our building in Lubbock. Um, and so whenever I come to Lubbock, I'm either camped out in the conference room or the corner of somebody's desk or if somebody's traveling, I, I steal their office for a couple of days. Um, but we are, you know, it's, a, it's, it, it's such an exciting time uh, for us because of the growth and the opportunities that are in front of the national sorghum producers. And then just to clarify, what is Tim Lust's official title then now? Tim is a CEO okay. of, 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 we would call it sorghum or team sorghum. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. I know this is probably still something you're formulating in your mind, but you've been there a little bit. You're familiar with the organization and uh, managing some of the association work, as you mentioned. So I think it's a, a fair question. What would you say are your goals so far being in this new role and being not only new yeah. role for you, but new role for the organization? Yeah, it, it, it's a fair question, Lori. Absolutely. Um there's there's several goals that I would have, and and obviously they're congruent with with the goals that the association has uh, in, in, as well. One is to take advantage of the of the experience that I have in the in the public policy process. So so legislative and regulatory fronts, both um, working with the, whatever administration is in place to address disparities that exist today when you compare sorghum and other feed grains, corn being at the top of that list. And it's not to tear corn down at all. Um, you know, we, we, we love our brothers in the corn industry and, and, and look forward to working alongside them. But there have been instances where sorghum has sort of been forgotten about in that process. I'll give you a, a great example. Um, a lot of talk in the last 18 months about biofuels, expanding biofuels production. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act included a provision called 45Z, which is a which is a blending cre tax credit for ethanol plants that would that would in increase the amount of biofuels that they produce ethanol being at the top of that list. <coughs> there was just an announcement made about uh, sustainable aviation fuel or SAF, uh, another program that that is a biofuels related program. Our job has to be to make sure that sorghum is on equal footing as a cereal grain that is that, that can be utilized to produce sustainable fuels, whether that be ethanol uh, for our automobiles or biodiesel for tractors or sustainable aviation fuel for, for the airline industry. So we want to make sure that when uh, these rules are written by the Department of Treasury, uh, that we have we have references in there to both corn and sorghum as as feedstock for those biofuels programs. So that's something that, you know, with with a background in association work and a background in public policy, I think I can help lend a shoulder to uh, alongside Tim and, and and others on the team. Um, a second one is is we're seeing acreage increases in sorghum right now. We see that for a lot of reasons. Um, certainly favorable price. 
in many areas relative to corn because of the strong international demand that we have for sorghum. Uh, we see that because of uh, opportunities for participation in some of the sustainability programs uh, that are being kind of championed today. In fact, sorghum is one of the group uh, of the of the groups that uh, was was awarded a Climate Smart grant uh, by USDA. Uh, what almost a year, about six months ago, and so uh, so we're working to deliver uh, over forty million dollars in payments out of that Climate Smart grant to farmers who are sustainably producing sorghum uh, that can grow that that can be moved into food feed and fuel programs uh, and help meet those sustainability targets. So that's an area to help kind of contribute to as well. That's a, that's, that's a people driven process. We've got to get the right people in place. We've got to be able to gather the data that demonstrates that that level of sustainability that sorghum producers have in growing that crop and then, and then quantify that in the marketplace to their benefit. So those are two examples of, of areas. And we, we're, we're growing the association, um, so that's something that's near and dear to me. Uh, and and then just being able to be visible uh, on behalf of the industry uh, in 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 front of whatever audience uh, that we have. And I was just going to ask you, and I think it's a good segue into where are the economics at for sorghum? It sounds like things are are good, positive. They are good. There's two areas that I think are really good. Uh, one, the market continues to stay strong. China continues to be a big buyer of, of sorghum. Not a surprise. Um, but but as we've seen uh, kind of a slide in uh, the price of other cereal grains, uh, sorghum has maintained a, a fairly strong price advantage to corn uh, in, in many markets today. So so that's a, a to me, that's a really good thing. The second is it, it's it's a positive response to a negative situation. The negative situation, it's right where I live. It's where you're, and you're familiar with the area as well. It's the water challenges that we have in the region around the Ogallala Aquifer. How do we address those in a way that still keeps active agricultural operations in place, but but helps us begin to reverse that trend and, and level out and then begin, you know, hopefully over time, over generations to restore uh, the, the levels of water in the Ogallala Aquifer. I think sorghum has a role to play there that few other crops can play. Uh, we can produce a crop on on less water. So if someone is is in a position where they're well pumped a thousand gallons a minute at one point in time, and they're now down to three hundred, and that's real, um, sorghum is the replacement crop uh, that can still produce a profitable crop at three hundred uh, uh, gallons of water a minute out of out of that well. Um, we're seeing a shift in in uh, forage production to sorghum forage. Um, some of that is baled as feed. Some of that is chopped as silage um, and, and a real opportunity there for us to, to tell a sustainability story, not only around the feed, but around the animals that are fed that. So whether that's a feedlot that's producing beef in a sustainability program, you know, look no further than Walmart and the work that they're doing on a sustainable beef program. Um, or it's fed to dairy cows that are producing milk that goes into a sustainable yogurt or or, or cheese or or milk program. Um, the opportunities for sorghum to be a contributor, a contributing feedstock to that uh, are tremendous. And so we continue to build those alliances and uh, and help uh, those folks tell the story about how, you know, about the role sorghum can play in contributing to a sustainable future. 
You have plenty to do, don't you? Of... That's that's what makes it great, though, right? If we right? if we you were sitting around, <laughs> that's right. If we sitting around looking for stuff, then we I, I get in trouble. Then I gotta I gotta stay busy. Greg, we're almost out of time here today, but I do want to ask you because I feel like I'd be remiss if we don't at least mention it here today. Is and you did earlier, Farm Bill. Um, that is the talk of the town has been for quite a while. Organizations yeah. wanting a new farm bill, I'm sure sorghum producers are no exception. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so sorghum was well positioned in 2023 uh, to help support the redrafting of the farm bill. Obviously, that didn't happen. The clock expired. A clock ran out of time, if you will, and and so uh, Congress passed a one year extension. That extension. Uh, expires at the end of September 2024. So there is a deadline looming out there. And and I don't want anybody to to come away from the call today thinking that 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 the that the extension is is indefinite. It's very definite. The more pressing uh need is around the continuing resolution. That's the funding part of the farm bill. And that expires on January 19th. We're not far from that deadline. Um that has to that has to be dealt with soon. Um we're headed to. We've got a. We got a delegation from Sorghum that's headed to D.C. the 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 second full week of January. So, yeah, it seems early. You know, like like Congress is just beginning to wake back up after the holidays. But but it's that urgent. The 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 need for being in town, meeting with the administration, meeting with the four corners, and and establishing those critical uh, issues to Sorghum as priorities to to those elected officials and, and and administrative officials is is critical. So so we'll be we'll be headed back out to DC shortly. Um love to give an update after that. Maybe maybe we'll have a better sense for what's happening and and uh, would certainly be committed to uh, to spending time and join you on an, on another uh, interview where we could talk through those priorities as well. And I will take you up on that for sure. <laughs> and awesome. most likely we'll be talking to you again here around commodity classic time. Absolutely. I look forward to that as well. Greg Ruley, the new executive director for the National Sorghum Producers. My guest here today, I'm Lori Boyer. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.